did not mention in our prayer time, I was uh, in, I was away this week, I was up in Nashville with Ryan as we're trying to figure out where college is going to be for him, and he's still making visits, and we spent four or five days up there, and we are no closer to a decision than we were when we left, um, but uh, we were up there, and it was beautiful, it was very mild, and 60 degrees. It was really, really nice. Um, apparently, we were there the right week because it's about to get hammered along, I guess, the northeast. In all seriousness, uh, we've got a lot of, I know a lot of you have friends, and apart from, you know, you head back that way in the, in the summer, but for our friends up there, I guess it's really supposed to be pretty nasty from what I'm, I'm hearing, at least some pretty bad, some bad weather. So we do want to pray for, for people, uh, you know, who are crazy enough to live in that. And, uh, <laughs> You know I got to get a little bit of a dig in there. Um, so anyway, but, um, but we do pray for that. We're continuing this morning uh, with a series I've, I've just called Against the Grain because it's, it's, we're looking at each of these weeks in, in Lent at some of the ways that the gospel calls us to live um, countercultural. In fact, that's the title this morning, Countercultural Crazy because we're going to deal with some, some of these weeks and a couple back-to-backs here, or over these next few weeks, I should say, of some, I think, just some of the craziest things Jesus, craziest things Jesus calls us to. I mean, w- these are words I'm about to read as we turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, that you've heard before, they're familiar to you, and maybe that familiarity sometimes uh, works against us because we are so familiar with it, we don't always really let it sink in. But, but Jesus asks his followers to live in some ways that are just, at its surface, absurd. Just absolutely absurd. And that's what we're going to allow God to challenge us to this morning. Not absurd from God's standpoint, but absurd from our standpoint. And so let's look and let's follow along or hear uh, Jesus' words. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. This is the part, as I've said before, in in our Bibles where uh, if you have a red letter edition, it's all red for about three chapters because this is is that famous, uh, just just tons of famous and and powerful things that Jesus speaks in the sermon. But let's hear what he he says, verse 38 through 48, again, Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. And sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Let us pray. Lord, may your words sink in today. Just challenge us and, and speak to us and move us to greater faithfulness, greater obedience, greater commitment to the way of Christ. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So see if you can name the movie plot I'm about to describe. See if you can name the movie. Our intrepid hero suffers a great injustice at the hands of a villainous character or a group of villainous characters. And strengthened, made resolute, with great resolve in the face of this incredible injustice, he or she sets out for retribution. And by the end of the movie, the villain has been vanquished, things have been set right, and the hero rides off into the sunset. Half the movies you've ever seen are that plot right there. In fact, if you, if no matter what movie you yelled at, you were right. You were right, because that is a, a, a formulaic structure of, of a story. We could fit all kinds of movies into that. Quentin Tarantino, if you follow, he's made a career out of those movies. I mean, that, that idea. And we could you know, go back since they started making movies, and, and you probably thought of something, yeah, that, this movie fits that, and, and we could go on. It plays in, it's a, it's a formulaic that's also often referred to as revenge fantasies. Revenge fantasies, and it plays into our sense, our innate sense, our innate need to see justice done. The, the, the bad guy to get their comeuppance, the, the good guy to, or the good gal to, to, to be the hero and, and for things to, to be set right. Psychologists will actually tell us that they're healthy for us because they help us deal with an emotion called embitterment. Embitterment is our internalization, our own feeling that we have been wronged, we have suffered injustice, somebody has done something um, unfair to us, and, and th the point of this is we've all had that emotion, I think. At some point in our lives, we've felt that, and that's called embitterment. And what embitterment births in us is this, this need for there to be some sort of, of, um, of, of justice, of fair play. And so revenge fantasies, psychologists say, help us feel that without actually having to go get retribution. Without having to go seek revenge, a movie like that where, where it all works out at the end, it, it helps us to feel better about it because retribution happens. Things are made right because the reality is we all, we all know there's feelings. We've all had those moments where somebody has done something to us that we deem is unfair or wrong or unjust. They don't have to be deep and significant things. They don't have to be, at least not in the sense of, of, of personal wrongs. It could be the person that drives like a maniac on 301 
and cuts in front of the line after everybody's been waiting. That's, there's my pet peeve right there. I hate that. hate that. I'm that guy trying to close the gap so you can't do it. I mean, it can be that kind of stuff. So it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be deeply personal, but it can be. It could be um, the ex-husband or ex-wife that did you wrong, or the ex-boyfriend or the ex-girlfriend, the boss, the employee. You know, it's, it's those. And we, we feed off of these. Social media is full of these kind of videos that we love, that I love. I saw one this week. I saw one this week. Uh, I don't know who posted or where it came from. But it was one of those, it was a tr- just like I described, it was a traffic scene where the, the, the traffic's kind of backed up and it's going slow. And there's that one driver who pulls into the, the shoulder to zoom around everybody. And... and Unbeknownst to them, they don't see that there's a guardrail there, and their car skirts up the guardrail because it was at a slant, and it strands them. And everybody looks at them and goes, that's right. <laughs> that's what you get. Right? Right now what we do? Dadgummit, that's justice. Now, keep in mind, we're, that wouldn't be so funny if we were the ones doing it. But, but it's full of, social media is full of those kind of videos, the, the spurned lover that gets revenge of some sort. I mean, you know, or the, or the, the employee, the boss, those kind of things. It, it speaks to that because it helps us deal with this emotion that we call embitterment. And it seems fair. It seems right. It's, it's just. It's, it's instant karma. That's what you see. People say it's karma. I, that's kind of a little bit of a pet peeve of mine because that's not what karma is. <laughs> karma is a whole different kind of worldview and, and religious view, but, but, but we get the context. You've done something, it comes back. What goes around comes around, right? Embitterment. The challenge for us is that Jesus calls us to embody something very, very different. Jesus calls us not to embrace embitterment, but to embody a very different way of life that is so counterintuitive for us. It's so counter to our natural inclinations and our, and our natural desires, but embodies a different way of living, a different way of, of seeking not um, retribution, but seeking reconciliation. That seeks not revenge, but redemption. And it is hard for us. It is, it is absolutely challenging for us. And that's what Jesus speaks into when he shares these words, these challenges. You know, he starts off with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's quoting from the Old Testament. And it was this, this, this concept that was, that was a part of most of the cultures of the day, as it still is, which is restricted justice or restrictive retribution. And the idea being, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is you can't exact a punishment that doesn't fit the crime. Somebody, you know, steals money from you, you are not allowed to seek the death penalty. You know, it, that doesn't match up. The, the crime doesn't fit, the, or the punishment doesn't fit the crime. So it's restrictive um, retribution. What is done to you um, is kind of the measure in which justice can be doled out. And so 
Jesus says this, and, and they, you can just hear the audience. You know, you can just hear Jesus say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and people going, yeah, that's what we're talking about. These are people that are suppressed, that are oppressed. They have a Roman overlord. They love the idea of, of uh, retributive justice, retributive justice. They love that idea, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's right, Jesus. And then Jesus says this. That's because he says, that's what you've heard. But I say to you, this should always be trouble. This is always a bad thing for our, our natural inclinations. When Jesus says, but I say to you, brace yourself. Because you're about to get a kick in the pants. Jesus says, I say to you, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek. We talked about this in confirmation. I said to the kids, if somebody hits you, what's your natural inclination? It's either defense or strike back. Right? That's... That's, that's the way I react, either defense or strike back. Jesus say, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the left also. Now you can imagine the air deflating in the people that hear Jesus say this. As if we were hearing it for the first time, because it's absurd. Jesus says, if somebody sues you to take your shirt, now what's our inclination? Get a lawyer. Fight back. That's not fair. Jesus says, no. Give him your cloak as well. He says, if you're forced to walk a mile, there was a, a concept in, in um, Roman-occupied lands that a Roman soldier could force you to carry his pack for a thousand paces. Pace equals a couple feet. Um, it came out to roughly a mile. They could force you to do this for them whether you wanted to or not. Jesus says, if you're forced to walk the mile, walk the second as well. The problem for us, if we really let that sink in, is that's not comfortable for us. That's not natural for us. When we are wronged, we want to get even. I've told this story before. Uh, you, know, you know you've been at a church... Um, long enough when you forget what stories you've told. But I, I was, Tony and I were doing a mission trip with our youth group when I was the youth pastor at Haines City. I was right out of college, and we, uh, we had gone up to Tennessee for a mission trip. We had two church vans that we were, we were driving. On the way back, we did some fun stuff with the youth. We went whitewater rafting, and we, uh, we went to Stone Mountain in, in Georgia. For the laser show. Stone Mountain's always had a, a special place for Tony and I. It's where we got engaged. Um, and so we, we took the kids back. And we, weren't only, we were only married about three months at the time of this trip. And so we took them to the laser show. I don't know how many of you have ever been there. They do this neat laser show. At least they used to. I think they probably still do. Over the stone carvings there on the mountain. So anyway, night's over. As any kind of crowded show, the parking lot's just a mass of cars trying to leave. So we kind of get our van out, and we're, we're in one of the side rows trying to kind of merge into the main flow. And another church bus is coming. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. This is a church bus. We're a church bus. If anybody's going to show the grace of God, they're going to. So I started to edge out. And this sucker <laughs> closed the gap. And I was not a happy camper. And um, I had been wronged. And I, it was one of those moments you pray, oh, if I could just 
get even. So I got in behind him. The car behind let us in. So now I'm behind the church bus. Church bus to church bus. Must have been Baptists. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. If you're Baptist, I'm just joking. I'm sure they were Presbyterians. Um, So we're behind them. And the kids are howling and we're, you know... I'm fanning the flames of discontent in a way a a responsible youth minister would not have done. (laughs) And um, so we're going, well, as luck would have it, there was kind of this place where you could go in either two directions to kind of get out, or the the traffic pattern split. And so the bus went one way, I think it went right, and I went straight. A couple minutes later, you know, you're inching along, you know how this is. That lane had to merge back in. (laughs) And you'll never guess what the first vehicle was as I'm coming, wanting to get in. This was a moment. This was a moment to embody Matthew 5, 38 through 40. This was a teaching moment. This was a moment to help youth grow in their relationship with Christ. (laughs) And I gunned it and shut that gap. (laughs) And the youth howled and heckled and taunted as we went by. (laughs) Because that's natural instinct, isn't it? That's what we do, right? justice that's fair that's what they deserved Jesus calls us not to distribute what they deserve but to show grace what I should have done (laughs) is let them in seriously that's what I should have done it's funny I laugh about it but even as I'm doing it I'm knowing what I've done is I've let my nature override my call. You know, it, I, I'm not lying. It felt kind of good, <laughs> but it wasn't faithful. Now, in the long run, is that significant? I hope not. I hope no youth are going, yeah, I was going to be a Christian until my youth pastor did that. Now I, I don't want anything to do. But, but that's the challenge. That's the challenge that we face, is is what Jesus is calling us to in far more meaningful ways. Fights against every natural instinct we have. We want want revenge. We want fairness. And revenge sounds so cold. We want want that instant karma that I said I railed against. But Jesus, he, he wants us to work for redemption. And that... It's incredibly difficult, but, but it's dangerous when we push, we give in to our natural inclination because it leads to cycle of, of, of repetitive behavior. The problem with that mentality, that, that revenge mentality, is that it's a never-ending cycle. You know, I, I, we joke around, I've told you before, in, in a very lighthearted way, you know, the, the pranks that we pull around here on each other, especially Liz and I. You know, here's the problem with being a prankster. You've got to live prepared for it to come back. You know, when you do that kind of stuff, when you're messing with people, you better be prepared to get messed with. 
So, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll come up the doors and I got to stop before I walk through to peek to make sure that somebody hadn't set me up. Okay? You just got to accept it. Well, in mar- far more real and, and meaningful ways, that's what happens in this revenge mentality. It just perpetuates a cycle of violence, a cycle of good even. What it does is it becomes very self-serving. We seek our own feeling of, of feeling better or putting ourselves above others. But rather what Jesus calls us to in every situation is to, to put the needs of others above ourselves. And I know that's hard. And, and what happens is we tend to think, well, doesn't that make us a doormat? Because Jesus says we meet violence with nonviolence. Well, I, I would just ask you this question. Does Jesus come across as a doormat to you? Because he didn't call us to anything he didn't embody. He meets violence with love. He meets anger with sacrifice. I mean, does Jesus seem weak to you on the cross? Does he seem misguided to you when he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? The way of Christ calls us to to live in such a way that we turn the way of the world upside down. We challenge for change. Not because we just seek to get beat on, but because the only way to end the the cycle is to live counter to the cycle and to foster relationships. See, that's the other problem with revenge. It breaks relationships. You know, when you're looking to get even, you're not... You're not going to live in it. There's going to be no conversation. Why does Jesus say walk a second mile? Maybe walking a second mile, there's hopes that it'll actually be a conversation in that mile. That that relationship can happen. That that lives can be changed. That's what Jesus constantly seeks for. Now, does that mean that there's not accountability? There is justice. There's divine justice. And that's kind of what Jesus calls us to. We leave justice to God. At least in a personal level. I'm not talking about accountability for, for what people do. I'm not talking about um, societal justice. There's a name for, for punishment. That's a, that's a different discussion. But, but we have to be careful when we're the ones that see ourselves as the instruments that God wants to use to dole out that justice. Because the problem is we see other people as enemies occasionally. But you know what? If we have the power of justice, so do they. And there's probably a few people that might look at you and say, there's the enemy. See, the problem is our justice is immediate, it's swift, it's not always unbiased, and it's very often not very compassionate. But God's justice is different. Over and over the scriptures tell us that God is a God of justice, but he is slow to anger and abounding in what? Steadfast love. Steadfast love. So we trust in God to make things right. And in the meantime, we seek to be the instruments, even on the people that are so hard for us to love. That's, that's where Jesus ends this. You know, he, he tells us, you know, what, what good is it to love those who love you? He said even tax collectors do that. He said, what, what good is it just to, to love your neighbor? But no, he says, love your enemies. And Jesus calls us to love people we don't even like. That's the hard part. He calls us to love people that we don't even like because so deep is God's love toward us. And that is hard. It is hard 
And I told the light story of the times I don't do it faithfully. I can tell far more significant and painful stories of times I have not lived into that. So I'm not standing before you as someone who goes, I got this figured out. My instincts override my obedience far more than I care to admit. Remember, Jesus calls us to a different way. Because when we live into that, eternity changes. Lives are changed. We are changed. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Elizabeth Elliot. Some of you may know the story. She and her husband were missionaries in the 50s in Ecuador. And um, the, there was a book written about them called The uh, End of the Spear. And her husband and some other men, Jim Elliott and some others, went, and, and I can't remember, I can't pronounce the name of the tribe in Ecuador, but it was a primitive tribe. And they were making inroads to share the, the gospel of Jesus. And they were, on a, a, they were kind of camped at a bank of a river, and they were slowly starting to make some connections with this tribe when um, one day there in 1956, some of the men of the tribe showed up and uh, to make a long story very, very short, they executed the six missionaries, dumped their bodies in the river. Now, if there's ever somebody who would be hungry for retribution, it would have been the wives and the family of those missionaries, one being Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know how many months later. She did go back, but she didn't go back for retribution. She went back for Jesus. In the very same place, she and some of the women went and they began to continue the missionary work with her 10-month-old daughter and began to build relationships where her husband had left off. And in time, many in that village came to Christ. In fact, some of the men who executed her husband were baptized in the very river where they dumped his body. Now, that is a faith I could only hope to have and a faith I could pray I never actually need to live into because of the circumstances. But I'm sure that wasn't a natural response for her. But that was a Matthew 5 response. And because of it, eternity changed. Now, our stories will probably never be that dramatic. In fact, I pray that they're not. But they're no less important. Our instinct is revenge and retribution. God's call is relationship and redemption. Our challenge is just to ask God to help us to be a little better at it. A little step fa more faithful so that we can truly live a countercultural crazy. But that's the way of Jesus. And that's the way of eternity. And that's the way of God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we are challenged in this. This is, this is hard. And it is not natural. It's not instinctive. But it is obedient and it's faithful. And it breaks cycles of violence and it changes lives for eternity. Lord, help us to, to take a step toward Jesus wherever we are today. One step toward the grace and the redemptive lives that you've called us to live because that's the way you've treated us. We've not been judged according to our 
sins, but we've been judged according to your grace. So as we have received, help us to live that way and to share that love with others. Guide us by your spirit. Strengthen us in our faith and walk with us in our journey. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.